Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have Pro Football Hall of Famer, former wide receiver of my Detroit Lions, cannabis enthusiast and entrepreneur, but more importantly, my good friend, Megatron, Calvin Johnson. Coming up, I talked to Megatron about his childhood in Newman, Georgia, what it was like when he first got drafted to the Lions, and his thoughts on everything from Russell Wilson going to Denver to the boom in wide receiver salaries. Coming up, Calvin Johnson. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. A show we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Download the podcast. Leave a five-star rating. I know y'all watching the NBA Finals. And I know y'all see the Renaissance man up there suited and booted representing the show each game. Every outfit is trending. The fresh cut be trending. And all I got to do is keep doing what I'm doing. And you guys get it here first because you download the podcast. You leave a five-star rating. And this week's theme is something I always try to do. That's put your best foot forward. As an athlete, I've put a lot of thought into moments in my career where my determination was the deciding factor in certain outcomes. That kind of thinking isn't just limited to basketball, though. At the end of each day, ask yourself, Did I do the best I could possibly do? Sometimes the answer will be yes, that as much as I could give today, I did. Other times, the answer will be no. I honestly did not give 100%. And I always remind myself when I look in the mirror, do I see my representative or do I see my honesty? And it's okay to be honest with yourself, but then take that assessment and do better for yourself. You have control over two things, your attitude and your effort. When you put your best foot forward, when you give it your all, good things will follow. Take the extra initiative to practice a skill you've been working at just one more hour each time. Set aside some time to plan how you can look and feel your best in your next fly outfit. Build up the courage to raise your hand like Arnold Horshack used to do back in the day on Welcome Back Carter. Ooh, 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 ooh. Share your next big idea. The great Maya Angelou once said, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. My next guest is a perfect example of that. Calvin Johnson is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, and Detroit Lions legend, and one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. Coming up, I talked to Megatron about his role in clearing up the stigma of cannabis consumption, what it was like competing on Dancing with the Stars, and how he reconciles playing for a team, my favorite team, and according to me, these are my words, that doesn't always invest in what it needs to do to get done to be an all-time great champion. But that didn't stop Barry Sanders from being a great Hall of Famer and giving his all to the city. It didn't stop Megatron, my next guest, 
Calvin for being dedicated to the D. Up next, Megatron. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. I've been doing this show less than two years, and I've had very few athletes actually on the show. The next gentleman is ultra VIP. My next guest not only is a Hall of Fame wide receiver, but he starred for my Detroit Lions. And I could talk to you about the Pro Bowls. I could talk to you about the major catches, but he's a philanthropist. He's a friend. It's my honor to welcome Megatron, Calvin Johnson, to the show. Good to see you, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks a lot, family. So I know your story, but I want to introduce the rest of the world to your story. So what was it like for you growing up in Newman, Georgia? Uh, you know, two parents, you know, just going to work day in, day out. My mom, you know, I seen her go from a you know, flight attendant to a teacher to an administrator in the school system. You know, my dad worked for the railroad uh, for, you know, 30 odd years, you know. And it's just really just see them, seeing them go to, go to work day in, day out for their four kids. You know, I was the second of four. I got an older sister. I got a, it's myself, little brother, then a baby sister. And uh, just watching how they poured into us, got us where we needed to be for us to be successful. You know, that that sacrifice, you know, uh, uh, the sacrifice, the the willingness to, to succeed, you know, just just that uh, perseverance, you know, uh, all those qualities just really, you know, it's hard to stray away from those things as I grow older. What about, like, the education side? Because at some point, you became a terrific athlete, a terrific prospect, but you were also educated, went to college. So for you, what was it like being a student athlete in your middle school and high school days? Oh, it was easy. I mean, my mom said, I can't play ball, which I love to do. I just want to play and compete all the time. She said, you can't play ball if you don't keep above a C average. I'm like, dang, A's and B's? Okay, done deal. <laughs> no said. No, I mean, really, for me, just put the goal out there and, and I'm just going to work to attain it. When did you realize that your athleticism and your love for football and sports, because I believe you play baseball as well, when did you know that sports is something that you wanted to consistently do? I mean, for when I was a kid, you know, I always looked up to the great stuff, sports stars. You know, when I was in Atlanta, we had the Braves winning the championship back in like 92 or 93. You know, you had, we had great players, Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones, you know. I remember back Otis Nixon jumping on the wall, making those catches over the wall. You know, I wanted to be that. You know, I always aspired to be those greats. You know, you got to see Michael Vick, you know, in Atlanta, you know, doing his thing, inspired to to be have that kind of greatness, you know. And um, so when I got my chance, you know, I just wanted to, like my dad always told me when I was a kid, you know, whatever you do, you know, put your best foot forward, put 100% in. Mm-hmm. And um, so whenever I try to do something, I do it to the best of my ability, you know, um, day in and day out. And I think that's just, you know, that's why we're here today. <laughs> you mentioned Vick, and he was a game changer at that position in more ways than one. Not only being a black QB Mm -hmm. to go number one, but at his height in a city like Atlanta that's going to embrace it to the fullest. Now you look at the league, it's become more commonplace with shorter quarterbacks like a Kyler Murray, for example. But what was Atlanta like for those that don't know when Michael Vick 
Falcons playing for the Falcons. Man, you got to think, you know, you went from, you know, Falcons when they were like kind of getting there to the championship, you know, you had a dirty bird going on, and then Vic come in town, <laughs> and you got the best thing that anybody, the best talent that anybody's really had seen at the game, seen in the game really, at least in my area, it's the best thing you've ever seen, you know. And we got to see this coming up. You know, you saw it at Virginia Tech a little bit, but nobody knew that, you know, and how everybody tries to play the black quarterback. You know, how he got to go play receiver. You know, he can't be have success here at quarterback, even though, you know, we see the likes of, you know, Vic, that tallest guy, the Russell Wilson and the Kyler Murray's, you know, now they are the tallest guys, just their knowledge of the game. You know, and those guys, and then obviously the, the other assets they have, you know, they can throw the ball, you know, and then they, we all know they got wheels. So, you know, it's just a, a great, you know, combination of skill sets. I have to ask you about the two guys you mentioned because I can't front. Megatron, I'm taking it personal this offseason because I'm feeling like people questioning is Russell Wilson elite? Should the Cardinals re-sign Kyler Murray and give him a bag? Like, what do you think about Russell now going to Denver first and foremost? Man, it's a fresh start. And I like Russell. He seems like a great guy. I've been around Russell when he, early on uh, when he first started playing. And, you know, it seems like the same guy just put his hard hat on and go to work every day. You know, I think that that fresh start, kind of like Matthew, man, just need to put – this is what it really got to have. When you have the certain pieces, you got to go all in. You know, L.A. had certain pieces. They had, you know, the D, they had the defense locked down. They didn't have that quarterback they did. They saw taking them to the next level. What they do, they went and put the rest of that team together, and in one year and won that same year, you've seen what happened. They won the championship. It's just going all in when you have the chance to. Like you see the super teams in basketball. We can't necessarily do that in football. But you got to right. go and get those pieces and put them around the players um, when you have opportunity with the Kyle Murray, with the with the uh, uh, Seattle Seahawks when they had uh, uh, Russell. I mean, they had a great defense at first when they won the championship. They had all the pieces yeah. around, so you just got to be able to go all in. And if you think that you're going to do it in these leagues on a budget, I mean, sure, it's going to take a long time. <laughs> right, absolutely. And what do you think about, like, people questioning whether Kyler Murray is a franchise – I like – I, like, I remember the Cardinals, and shout to Kurt Warner. He took him to the Super Bowl, and Larry Fitzgerald, they balled. But, like, I remember their best quarterback probably being Neil Lomax, and that was, like, when I was young. Like, the Cardinals ain't had nothing. So, to me, for them to have him, they should cherish him. What do you think about the situation that's happening between him and the team? It's just, you know, instant gratification. It's just the, it's just the world we live in right now. You know, the media presence and everybody having a voice that maybe shouldn't all, all have a voice. But it's just, you know, there's no instant graphic gratification coming. Yeah, they drafted him. They expect the championship in the next two years or three years. But unfortunately, the NFL doesn't work like that. you got to put those pieces around them. And, uh, I mean, whatever team does, I, I mean, I love him as a quarterback because his ability to stick the pocket and keep his eyes downfield and make plays, you know. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think you're tripping if you don't think you can build around him. <laughs> With all due respect to the quarterbacks we just mentioned, my brother Megatron – was six foot tall in middle school. <laughs> so did sticking out make you feel insecure or did you embrace your size early on? Um, there was definitely insecurities there at first because, you know, it was just awkwardness. You know, I, I, I couldn't, you know, my big old feet and, and I couldn't change directions like I wanted to and needed to in high school, let alone in college when I was, I was still raw. I was raw when I got to the league. You know, I had a great coach in Sean Jefferson that helped, helped tame the beast a little bit. But, um, yeah, man, it's definitely awkwardness when you, when you start to stretch out. So 
as you now see the boom in wide receiver salaries, there was so long that the quarterback got the big money, but the wide receiver kind of was looked at, could be a number one, we'll take care of you, but at some point you're not going to get the money that the quarterback get. Now I'm seeing Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, getting the kind of money that elite-level quarterbacks get. What do you think about that boom in that position for those salaries? Man, I, I just have to say, part I mean, a big part of that probably, I mean, as the revenue in the league goes up, the revenue for the players goes up. And, I mean, if the, if the, if the uh, receivers are making that, you best believe the, the QB's probably making 15 to 20 more. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> True story. And as, like, you transition to the league, I have a lion's helmet over my shoulder. I thank you for your service to our team, to our city, to our franchise, to the rest of the world. You were Megatron, but to us, thank you for staying Calvin Johnson. So I must ask you, like, what was it initially like when you got drafted for the Lions? And what was some of more, your more notable games when you played for the team? All right. Well, yeah, when I first got drafted to the Lions, man, it was weird. I, I came up to Detroit and, you know, my first literally off the plane, we drove down 94 downtown and, you know, we got to see all the blight, all the houses that have burned down. It was, it was like, man, I, 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 I wanted to go back home. <laughs> I'm, I'm used to, I'm from the South. For real. I ain't never been real, real, real homesick. But, you know, when I really got out and embraced the community and got to meet my teammates and, and know the people around the team, like I said, the community was huge. They're very supportive. You know, I, I enjoy, you know, uh, living my adult life here. And I, that's why I'm still here today, because I, I barely enjoyed my time here in Michigan. Um, but you go, going going to games, uh, favorite games played, man. Uh, it's funny that Dallas was probably in two of those games. Uh, one time when I went mm. to Dallas and we beat them boys and we were trailing like big in the fourth quarter. And to do it away, I mean, to do it at somebody else's stadium, you know, that always, that's always the best to see to hear that quiet, the crowd go quiet. But um, when we were back at home and I had a 329 on them boys, you know, it, it, it was a little more special. I got some family, some um, family, some cousins and aunties and, and stuff like that that are huge Dallas fans. I have no idea because they only live in Texas. I don't know why. But <laughs> they say it's America's team. So as you can send it to be not only a terrific player, but an all pro, like the best in the game, a future Hall of Famer. What was it like for you playing for my hometown team? So I'm owning this. This is not Calvin speaking. This is Jalen Anthony Rose speaking. For a team that doesn't necessarily always invest in what we need to do, like the Rams just did, for example, as we saw Matthew leave and shout to him, go get a championship. What was it like for you? Because when Barry retired, it hurt me. But I love him so much, I understood. Same thing for you. What was that like? Yeah, it's just it's it can be frustrating, you know, uh, when you see you're at a rebuilding time, especially when you're at a time point in your career where you're like, where you're even for myself, I speak for myself. When I'm thinking about hanging up the cleats, you know, it's kind of tough to like sit there and, and realize, like, dang, like we're really not gonna have a shot to to, to take this thing to the next level. Yeah, we got the quarterback, but it takes more than just a quarterback and a great receiver. Yeah, they they, they could be a huge part of it, but you got a lot of other pieces. You know, you got a defensive line that was uh, 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 broken up, you know, that needed to be put back together. 
You know, there's a lot of other pieces secondary, you know, it's just a lot of pieces at a time for us, for me, myself personally, that, you know, I was just at my wits end, you know. So you were a part of one of the catches that changed a lot of rules and changed other rules back. Your touchdown catch that I saw you grab, I've seen you catch the ball with one hand multiple times and control it like a basketball. But for some strange reason, they said that that was an incomplete pass. So now they go back and forth and change the rule. What do you recall about that play and how that rule has continued to evolve? Yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. With the slow-mo cameras, they still can't get it right. But um, <laughs> it's, I remember that. Oh, that was a heartbreaking day, man. That was a right – I feel like that set – I'm not going to say it set the tone for our season, but it didn't help. You know, it, it mm-hmm. started the season in a rough way when you get robbed of a touchdown. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, my hand – I mean, I caught the ball, feet touched, my butt hit the ground forcibly, and I got the ball still in one hand. But it wasn't until I got up when I was going to celebrate – you know that the ball that the ball came out, and it's really I just put it on the ground, and so it was just it was nuts. I was just like, "How do you not call a touchdown when I'm I hit the ground? I got it in one hand, and as I'm getting up, you let it go." And then they gonna come back and say it should have been a touchdown. A couple of years later, I'm like, "Shoot, well, let me get that stat back then." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. And, and, it, and as someone that watched every snap that you've played, and watched how you gave your blood, sweat, and tears to the city and to the team. There was a heartbreaking play that I saw take place. Everybody shows what happens on the field, but they don't show what you did. And I'm talking about the Aaron Rodgers Hail Mary. (laughs) Nobody has ever asked you about this. Like, I really be watching. I just saw you drop to a knee and say, this can't be life. So remind me in the world of that play, what was going through your mind? All right, let's go back to the week before, Thursday before the game. Uh, we always run, or Friday, whatever. We always run the situation where the other team has to do a Hail Mary. And I'm like, in that situation, I go back to the end zone as a safety. Mm-hmm. I'm going out on the field. I'm going out on the field and they pull me back. And they just like, let, let defense do it. And I'm just sitting here like, I'm like, okay, all right. The boys don't know how to read that ball like that. I was just saying the defense, the players, they can't, they don't track that ball like that. I'm just like, all right, it's Aaron Rodgers now. He can flick that thing 60 yards with like that, you know. And I'm just sitting here and I'm just sitting here looking. I'm just like, no, they didn't just pull me off the field for this. This is, I'm like, in my mind, I want to go get my stat. I want to get my interception. I'm like, I know it's coming. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, no. I'm like, nah. No question. But, um, exactly. 20 TDs, five INTs. Bro, they pulled me off the field, and and when it was the ball just when the ball went up in the air, I'm just like, Mm-mm. I'm sitting there like this is about to happen. They about to, and then when it happened, I just literally like somebody made the little meme with the little with the Louis with the uh, Mario when you're going down a little tunnel thing, <laughs> whatever the sound is. Drop, I just dropped to my knees because I'm like that shouldn't have happened. We should have won this game. It's just like every NFL game is so much effort and work that goes into each one to see a decision made like that that, that could have easily been a different decision and had a different outcome. I mean, that was, that was, it's heartbreaking. And, and, and you walked away on your own, too, and I respected that. But I have to ask you, if there was a team you could have joined at the time, kind of like I just saw Odell Beckham do. See, the one thing about being a lifeline, lifetime Lions fan when Indomitian Sue or Matthew Stafford, they go other places and win championships. Like, I root for them. 
I don't claim it as a Detroit championship, yep. but I'm happy that they put on for the city. Yep. So if you could have gone and played for another team at the time, where would you have gone? Oh, that's so tough, man. Ooh, damn, that's tough. I would have went to a, any team with a great quarterback. You know, any team with a great quarterback, I would have went to. I mean, at the time, I, I saw Aaron Rodgers so much at the time. I would have loved, and I loved the, you know, the history behind Lambeau and just really just playing in the North division, you know. I loved everything about it, the toughness, you know, the, the blue and black. But I, I don't know. I, I, oh, man. I, Aaron Rodgers is probably the top of my list at the time. At the time, Aaron Rodgers was that guy. Uh, who else? I mean, obviously Brady. Um, but I just didn't have an opportunity to. That would have been crazy to see you playing with Aaron Rodgers. But I got to I gotta flip to something because you now represent Motown, and I'm so very proud. And you're from Georgia, which considered the Motown of the South. Yeah. So I have to ask you, it, 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 with your parents and your siblings, like what music did you guys grow up listening to in the house and in the car? Yeah, we grew up listening to uh, obviously gospel, really spiritual background. My grandfather was a, is a preacher, still preaches today. Um, but really big on R&B. Uh, my first album I ever had uh, was a Jay-Z album. Um, but Outkast was huge to us. I mean, that was big for the culture, you know, Big Boy and, and Andre 3000. Um, I feel like that was probably my favorite artist growing up, Outkast. Mm. Obviously, I loved, I loved everything about T.I. I got him on my pregame list. I got Jeezy on my pregame list. I mean, I could go on forever, but those, those guys while I was playing, you know, before the game, I got my Jeezy and my T.I. on, just like getting in the mindset, you know, the king-like mindset, you know, about to go king. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. And so one of the things that I've discovered since coming to Atlanta in the early 90s for Freaknik <laughs> is that Atlanta's the hub to me for strip clubs. <laughs> so I have to ask, because you listen to gospel, you come up in a responsible parent household, but going to a strip club in Atlanta is normal. But it's like going to Waffle House. So I have to ask, like, what has there been any experiences at some point of your life enjoying Man, the adult entertainment capital of Atlanta? I've, I've, I've been to every single one that there is in Atlanta. I haven't been to a strip club in a while, though. But, yeah, back when I was playing, when I was a little younger, I was in, you know, the Onyx, uh, the Magic City, um, Damn, what they call my, my, my dude's place. Uh, Platinum 21 before the name changed. Mm, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> you know, so those, no. yeah, those, 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 especially those three spots right there. Uh, Cheetah every now and then, they had a good food, lobster and grits and stuff mm. like that. You know, but uh, Onyx, Magic City, and uh, Platinum. And then they got, um, what's the spot called now? Uh, dang. Strokers? Not even talking about, yeah, you've been a stroker. That was a long time ago. That was a cop. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness gracious. Over there on the east side. Um, what's the spot called? Uh, Not Pink Pony. Um, been a Pink Pony. Oh, man. That's what I love about Atlanta. Yeah. Like, every day had a strip. It was like Pink Pony on Sunday, Onyx on Tuesday, Magic every day. That's it. There's one for every day of the week. And it's a good one for every day of the week that you probably, at other cities, they're not, they're not even touching on Atlanta. So that is one thing about Atlanta. They, they do have some... Uh, 
fun, uh, I guess you say, adult entertainment, <laughs> adult entertainment options. Absolutely. I've called it the capital. Speaking of dancing, you were on Dancing with the Stars. Right. You finished third. What was that experience like getting your twinkle toes on? <laughs> it was, um, you know, if, I, if you ask me to do it again, I'll probably say no because I didn't know how much work went into it. But like I told you earlier, whatever I'm gonna do, I'm gonna work more my tail off of doing. So I had that that that's still true there too, you know. So uh the only reason I made it to the finals though, I was gonna quit the show because my ankles were swelling up so bad. And that's when um I had uh, my buddy had brought me some topicals. I wasn't really really um experienced in using topicals, but it got kind of got the swelling to go go away right away. And that's kind of the turning point for me when I really wanted to learn more a lot more about cannabis when I actually use it in that different application. But ever since then, I mean that dancing show, man. Hell of an experience. Uh, got to meet some great people along the way. Got to kick it, kick it uh, a whole bunch of time and uh, spend a lot of time in L.A. So that was great. Mm -hmm. But um, an experience like no other because, I mean, you're performing live every week. Everything you, It's like kind of like football. You, everything you practice during the week, you get to show it off on Mondays. You know, and, it's, and whether it's uh, 36 seconds or two minutes long, you know, um, it's, it's really you out there performing in front of everybody. And it, it, was, it was a hell of an experience. And you brought up pain and whether it's that or anxiety, there's medical cannabis that we now can turn to. There were times in our lives where that was considered taboo. You used to get suspended for that. You used to get punished for that. You would get vilified for that. And I want to shout you out for your six-figure donation as well to the Medical Cannabis Institute at Harvard. So for you, what is it like to see how cannabis was viewed as a player and the change that you're trying to help make happen right now? Yeah, our, our focus in, the, in these areas are, you know, pain and uh, mental and cognitive issues. And, you know, and both of those, or when you're talking about cannabis and you're talking about mental issues, both of those things are, are stigmatized. You know, and there's really, you know, now, just now, more and more education is allowing us to be like, oh, okay. Everybody, I mean, everywhere, we're, we're all, we, we all know somebody that's dealing with mental issues and it's teaching us to have, how, how to have more empathy uh, around that. And even the same thing with cannabis. Well, not until you really hear about the story in a different um, application, and I mean by that is, you know, not necessarily a recreation or adult use. You know, you hear about it from somebody's real medical use where an 80, you know, a uh, cancer patient, an elderly cancer patient with two or three stage cancer they're in remission now because they've been using the RSO, you know, and the cannabinoids there have been helping them. Or you hear the story of the kid, someone with epilepsy or the one with seizures, where now where they used to have 30 seizures a day, now they might have one because of the cannabis oil wow. they're using. And these are real stories that I have that I've been um, privileged to, to being a part of. Even just last week when, when we were at um, a council meeting uh, for a city, you know, we get to hear these stories when they're trying to plead their case, like, please. We need this in our community because it's helping so many people, you know, and it's really just those kind of stories, not necessarily, you know, the recreational use. You know, I just want to go smoke my blunt or my split. Right. But when you think about it, those people that I mean, even when we use it recreationally, there's still a medicinal benefit that we're seeking from that medicine. So it is still a medicinal benefit that we're trying to receive. So, I mean, in every sense of it is medicine. And I just wish that, um, you know, uh, you really just got to understand more. Uh, about how it interacts with our body. You know, I think a big part of that is just really understanding how we have an endocannabinoid system, the interior cannabinoid system. And, that, and, and, and we can really, uh, we really uh, if we really learn how, to, how it interacts with our body, 
I think that um, that will change some minds. You know, I have my mom, you know, we're from the Bible Belt down there in, 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 in Georgia. And everybody, you know, being black and being from that area, you know, we're obviously demonized or, you know, go straight to jail. for having mm-hmm. this. And you have a little, Correct. but you're, you're spending a lot of time in, in the pen. So, um, and they've seen that for, for, for their whole generation and the generation before. So it's, that's, it's the reason why it's stignified so, 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 so harshly because it's the way of life. It's the way of life uh, because it's a schedule one drug here in America, you know, so until we're able to do research and really understand some of these benefits that these institutes are doing, you know, now we're able to see, oh, there's something here. Now the lid is coming off. Now there's a snowball effect and more and more states are starting to legalize the thing. And there's a reason because of it, because it's helping folks. And two, it's bringing these, a lot of these cities a lot of tax money too. <laughs> correct, correct, exactly. And, and, and that for an athlete reminds me of something, name, image, and likeness. And when I was a player, a member of the Fab Five, I did take it personal. You went to Georgia Tech, you starred, your jersey was sold, you signed helmets. But, like, we didn't profit off of that. Now that athletes have the opportunity to do that, Nick Saban, Nick Saban of the Alabama Crimson Tide has the nerve to call a pot calling the kettle black, <laughs> right? So now all of a sudden, when A&M can recruit people and use the tool to help them get bread and help them increase their likeness, he cries foul. And also, he hating on Jackson State in prime time. So what did you think when you saw Nick Saban's comments about the name, image, and likeness? Yeah, um, I see it as an opportunity, as long as it's done right for a lot of players to really help their people, man. I mean, you living in a society where <clears throat> there's a at the top like one or two percent that have it and the rest don't. You know, so a lot of people coming up, you know, that coming up through school and getting these scholarships and able to get these deals. I mean, a lot of the good majority of these people don't have the means to to do a lot for their family at the age. And a lot of them might not have the opportunity to make it to the NFL, which is a very small percentage then. So I think they have an opportunity to, to bring something to their family. You know, I think that I think it's a good thing as long as it's done right, because I hate to see in college the haves and have nots. You know, maybe you have one guy that that can have this huge deal, but he's the only guy on the team that creates a, a I, think, I feel like that can create a cancerous environment, you know. But I mean, I, I mean, that's really I feel like those deals are really just between the player and whatever company they do. So, I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, I just hate for for the have nots to. I just wish there's a better way for it to go all around, you know, for all, for all the players to be able to help each other out. Um, and, yeah, those that are bringing the the, 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 the the big majority of it should, you know, be able to to have that. Should be able to have a good grand majority of it. But I just, want, I just don't want to that situation for the have and have not. Because I've seen it in, in culture, in my work culture, too, you know, that <clears throat> that could create a, create a rift in your, uh, in your, in your, in your system. And – Lastly, before I get into the going to 60 seconds, and again, I thank you, Megatron, for joining me. Please let everyone know about the entrepreneur spirit that you've not only adopted while you were playing, 
and your philanthropic things that you do in so many different communities, but also the things that you're doing right now business-wise? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I, I say I would say I started in 2008 with my foundation, my Calvin Johnson Jr. Foundation. You know, the motto is catching dreams. You know, we're just trying to put kids in, in, in a situation, one, where they can uh, meet people uh, where they, in places that they want to be at, you know, provide scholarships. And we do a whole bunch of things in the community from camps to uh, conferences and whatnot. Uh, went on to uh, start a, a cannabis company here in Michigan uh, with Rob Sounds, and uh, we're a vertically integrated company. Uh, the focus is really just highlighting the healing powers of the plant and creating new innovative applications for folks uh, in, here in the near future. Uh, and, and with that, we're uh, going to be bringing out a, a new uh, a new company called Primitive Performance, where we're using a new uh, nanotechnology motion. Where basically, if you imagine the cannabis particle in, at, in its smallest size. And the reason for this is because it just makes it more bioavailable or more efficient for the, for the user. And in turn, maybe taking that where that edible use to hit you in like 45 minutes to an hour, you have something that's going to hit you in 5 to 15 minutes. Um, and that's only because this uh, particle size, uh, it is able to bypass the intestinal tract and go right into the bloodstream and go right to work. Um, in our time that we were able to visit with, uh, with uh, Harvard, they're talking about uh, using drones and nanotechnology targeted for targeted med medicine. And I didn't get it, but it makes sense now because these drones are so, like I said, they're so small, they're able to bypass your intestinal tract and get right into the bloodstream and in turn, allowing your endocannabinoid system to recognize the medicine that it has in it and allow it to go to work where it needs to go to work. So, um, I mean, it's so much untapped science here. And yeah, I love, I mean, I'm learning more and more every day that I'm in this industry. So I'm doing it's just a blessing and we're fortunate to be a part of it. Absolutely. And I appreciate you joining me. And shout out to Rob Sims, another great Detroit yes, Lion, sir. my guy, giving back to the city. But before I let you get out of here, I have a rapid fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready yep, to do yep. this? So I know Matthew Stafford was the greatest quarterback that you played with in Detroit. Who was the second best? Ooh, Sean Hill. Well, Sean Hill. Name your favorite NFL player of all time. Ooh, that's so tough. Oh, bro, why you do that to me? <laughs> Say Randy. I'm going to go with Randy Moss. Ooh, he got mossed. What is your favorite strand to smoke? I'm an OG guy. You give me a good, just old, old classic OG from the West Coast, I'm happy. When you smoke in that OG, what is your favorite music to listen to? Mmm, dang. Probably some Kendrick Lamar. I haven't even heard the new one all the way yet, but yeah, probably some West Coast vibes. I got to study the new Kendrick too. And speaking of West Coast vibes or artists in general, who's your favorite artist that makes the best songs about smoking? Oh. <laughs> You stopped me on that one, man. What playlist doesn't have one particular artist? I got a lot of alchemists on my new playlist. You stumped me on that one. There's so many. I'll start naming some for you. Got Wiz, you got Snoop, you got Red, you got Meth, you got Dre. I mean, all those on the playlist. But I mean, I mean, all right. So when Wiz came out with his first, you know, album, his first couple of albums, that was some great smoking music. That was some really good. Stuff. Exactly. There we go. There we go. What time at any point of your career do you remember 
catching the ball or about to catch the ball and somebody hit you the hardest? Who was that? Oh, yeah. We're playing um, uh, the Reds, Washington Redskins. And, um, dang, what's his, what's his name? Little dude, but solid as a rock. Anyways, I'm running a little crossing pattern five yards deep. And this is the hardest I've ever been hit in my life. I remember catching the ball. I knew he was going to be there, but I didn't expect a hit like this. I literally, he hit me, and he knocked me five yards the other way probably before I hit the ground. So I remember that hit through and through. I feel it in my body right now. When I, was it London Fletcher? London freaking Fletcher. That is it. Thank London Fletcher. Yeah, boy, he rocked my soul and on that one. This is why you know you got fans watching your back. And brothers looking out for you. I even know the name of the license plate of the guy that hit you, and you don't know it because you Megatron. I appreciate you, family. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Great to see you, man. Last call. Last call. I'd like to thank Megatron for stopping by the podcast. My brothers achieved so much greatness on and off the field, all while never losing sight of who he is and where he came from. One thing that stuck out to me about Calvin is despite already being an all-time great, being known as Megatron, being the absolute best in one game, he was willing to try something new in front of millions of people as a contestant on Dancing with the Stars. Megatron spent 11 grueling weeks working his feet with salsa, quick step, and foxtrot routines. He challenged himself in the public eye. That takes guts. I can't lie. I ain't giving y'all those visuals. I don't have those guts or this humility that he does. Calvin ended up placing third in the competition, which is incredible. He's an example for everyone that sometimes, even when you think you reach the top, there's always room to learn more. In what ways are you challenging yourself with something new? For Calvin, it was ballroom dancing. For you, it could be a new sport, a new kind of food, or even a new education. What's great about starting at the bottom is the only way to go is up. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.